listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He's Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And it's Independence Day in episode 129 today, July 4th, 2019. We have a bit of a freedom-oriented show for you today. Gaming news focuses on Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo sounding off on the trade tariffs. Movie news includes Henry Cavill in a new role, The Matrix 4 rumor, Paul Rudd joining a Supernatural cast, and Andy Serkis getting a role in another comic book movie. Technology news involves Johnny Ive leaving Apple. And our topic of the day is our Spider-Man Far From Home movie review, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in the episode's detailed section of iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Otherwise, just keep listening. Steve, how are you doing over there, good sir? Well, Russ, I'm uh, doing okay. You know, it's 4th of July. It's a good holiday. Indeed it is. Very colorful, very, uh, very patriotic. Everybody's in high spirits. <laughs> About as high as you can shoot a bottle rocket. <laughs> Ooh, pretty. And about as high pitched as a packed piccolo Pete. Absolutely. That's alliteration right there. <laughs> we had a fun 4th of July. We did. Overall, didn't we? We did. We started off, well, I mean, I started off the day going to the local parade with La Familia. Had a good time there. It's always good to be plugged into the local community. You almost joined us for that. Yeah, I figured I'd uh, just keep the morning simple, sweet, peaceful. You know, sip a coffee, watch the birds fly by, sing their songs. You know, fantasize like they're bald eagles flying by. Yeah, like, man, bald eagles migrating this time of year? <laughs> I will say, I have actually seen a bald eagle fly here in Texas. Uh, I know. There was one that flew right past the house. This was like either last year or the year before. I don't know. But um, I remember it flew there. We were like, that's an eagle. That's a bald eagle. Yeah. Wait, what is it? Okay. I called mine George after George Washington. Nice. But yeah, after the, the parade thing, then we got the extended family together, had a little pool outing, which was a lot of fun. You know, it's good to be able to have some barbecuing, some splashing, the changing of many diapers of the grandchildren. You know what we ought to do is uh, we should get like a cutout, a paper cutout of the American flag and then put it like on our shoulder or our back and then just sunburn that area. <laughs> and so it's like a sunburn tattoo of the American flag. And of course, we ended the, the day watching fireworks. Because all good Americans should do America, 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 America. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun being able to see it. I was actually impressed by the amount of fireworks that were on display, but I gotta say, it was near and dear to my heart of hearts being able to look up there and say, freedom isn't free. There's a price in heavy fee. <laughs> a happy birthday to the country that I love. <laughs> God bless America. 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 I think, <laughs> uh, if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that America turned 241. I better double check that. I think I'm close. It's either like, it's like around 200. Let's see. 
while you're How looking that old up, is you the know, United States of America. What I was gonna say before you just start figuring your talk right through me is that I watched. I was some- right. Two hundred forty-one years old. Continue. John Adams clips from the HBO series. That is a good series. That right is there. so unbelievably well written. Agreed. I, and acted. And acted. Yes, of course. I'm, but a, I'm a big fan of the theme song as well. There, if you're gonna have a movie where there's just a bunch of talking, the talking better be freaking amazing. Mm. And all the script is freaking amazing. It is. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that was that's probably one of my all-time favorite HBO miniseries that they have put out. It's man, it's super good. Really, really good. And what's neat too is that it doesn't actually focus um, hardly at all on George Washington. It's mostly on, as the title would suggest, uh, John Adams. Yeah, but it follows a book that I was looking up on uh, Amazon. It's just called John Adams. But I've read the book too. Have you? I have. It's a good book. It's, it's a good read. Fantastic. I got it on uh, my Kindle. Ah, very so nice. So hopefully um, <laughs> my attention will be focused enough that I can actually read it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I love to read, but my attention says no. And so after about 15 minutes, I want to do something else. I, I got to put this down. You start reading the first sentence. You're like, oh, look, there's a doggy. Yeah. <laughs> Squirrel. Yeah, exactly. Anyhow. So other than celebrating our freedom here in America, <laughs> uh, what have you been up to this week? Well, I started finishing up some shows that I had been watching as you might have remembered from a couple episodes ago. Did you finish 24? No, I didn't finish 24. Didn't I still have a way 24. to go. I haven't started the, I think, sixth season yet. All right. But I finished The Punisher. Oh, the most recent season the I most wager. recent season. Uh, the the end was good, except like the very, very last part was kind of stupid. Uh, but again, the whole, the whole second season doesn't even hold a candle to the first season. So I don't know if they were just doing it for a tribute to Stan Lee, or they just decided to... Well, it's probably the first season was so good, they got the green light for the second season. Well, yeah, but... But now it sounds like they might have the yellow light for the third season. Well, I would I would hope so, because they could have... Well, I've said that many times. They could have done the entire season with, like, five episodes, but yeah. they decided to dole it out like crazy from point A to point Z. <laughs> Anyhow, so I finished that one. Like I said, it's okay. And then I finally finished Black Sails. Oh, yes. Which, uh, that's, yeah. It ended okay. There are a lot of, just like I was talking about with with John Adams, if you're going to have a lot of talking, talking better be good. But Mm. you would think with Black Sails, there would be a lot more swashbuckling. A lot more sails that are black. Yes. Action. And then there's just a bunch of talking that doesn't like, okay, you guys do something else. You're a pirate show. Why is this all drama and like, you know, just whatever. I'm surprised that you didn't like it. I, I have not seen the the show myself, but the promotional trailers that I did see for the show, it looked interesting. It looked like it had potential. And especially considering the fact that I personally really love the Pirates of the Caribbean movies mo- from the most part. There, I think there's like one in there. I'm like, eh. But for the most part, I really loved what they did in terms of creating that pirate world. And this looked to be more of a serious version of Pirates of the Caribbean, like perhaps more of like a rated R version of Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, I, how close am I, Steve? Well, not really anything to do with Pirates of the Caribbean. Fooey. Yeah, no. But anyhow, it's basically like a like it sets up what Treasure Island would be. Ah, yes. So, but there's there's just so much talking. It's like they, they make much ado about nothing, really. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So at the end, you feel kind of unsettled. I don't know. Anyway, it wasn't, ter- I'm not saying it's terrible. It's just that I wanted more, especially after the fourth season where everything started to pick up. I thought, okay, they're going to end with like a bang. And it just kind of <laughs> ended with like a, Pleh. so whatever. Anyway, I, I started, kept, I kept on watching um, Longmire and I ah. thought I was on the last season, but I'm not, I'm not. Well, is that a good thing? It is a good thing. I thought I was about finished up. I thought I was on season four. Mm. No, I'm sorry. I thought I was on season five and season five was the last season. I'm actually on season four and there's six seasons. I'm not even close to finishing that one. Interesting. But but I did finish Spider-Man. Congratulations to you, good sir. On the uh, PS4. And I finished the first DLC. Were you satisfied? I, yes, I am, was, of course. I love that story. It is good. It is very, very good. Uh, I would, I would hope they would. I found a few bugs in it, though, Russ. One of my favorite scenes ever. I'll just look at you and say, "You knew. Mm-hmm. You knew. Mm-hmm. Love that. That right there is a memorable moment. Yeah, good storytelling. The story is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I, I really." can't wait to get the rest of the DLC for the game. The game is, is very well done. It just seems like there's some parts of it where they where they overlooked a couple things. I was like, ah, yeah, I don't know how they could overlook it, but ah. <laughs> but anyhow, um, I guess nothing is perfect in this world. No. But that was, man, that was one of my favorite mo- uh, movies. <laughs> it was almost like yeah, a movie. Well. <laughs> uh, it was one of my favorite games of last year. Man, that was good. Gosh, that was so good. A lot of good, lot of good games on the PS4 last year, Oof. and this year even too. I mean, at least during the the f- first part of the year. Yeah. You know. What have you been up to, Russ? What have I been up to? Well, I will tell you, Steve. I've been playing Alien Isolation on the Xbox. It's a game that got away from me. I started to play, and then I had all these other games come through, and I was just like, okay, how on earth am I going to be able to play this? And get back into the swing of things. And now that I have all this extra time, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to dive back in. And as a result, I've been really enjoying it. I finally got first contact with the Xenomorph and it was pretty terrifying. I got to say, I really want you to come over and sit down and just watch me play because this game is very similar to Resident Evil 2 in terms of me enjoying watching you play. And then you go, you know, you get freaked out and stuff. This game has its own version of that. So you never know when or where the Xenomorph is going to come out. And it's basically invincible. You can't kill it. So you have to try and outsmart it and hide from it. It's very much a uh, human in touch with your mortality kind of scenario. But that's what's really cool is... is Ah, paper cut. Darn it. Yeah, exactly. Man, that hurts. But it's, it's really, really cool. And I've actually kind of gotten into this Aliens mode. So I, I watched the movie Aliens, which was the James Cameron film. I have yet to watch Aliens, by the way. It's on my Netflix. What? It's on my Netflix queue. Okay, don't even worry about Netflix. Netflix, Netflix. I have it purchased and ready to watch on my Xbox account. Mm. So you just plump that little booty on the, the couch there. Are we going to be able to turn it up loud? We can, I mean, we can probably uh, figure it you out. You know, we could turn it up. To right below average? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to... We'll, we'll, we will be strategic about it and make sure that my little one is, like, not 
sleeping or something. But I do think it is, is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I've, I thought you had seen it all these years. I've seen parts of it. I played the arcade. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we got we to definitely show you that. And then I also watched Prometheus again just because I had already owned that that movie as well. So it's, it's been fun to kind of dive back into the, the world of aliens. And you will not believe it, Steve. I actually, you know, they had a sale on Xbox, various movies. I think I had told you before how, like, I that's how I ended up watching The Girl Next Door. It was like 99 right. cents. Yeah. I watched Batman v Superman. Oh, gosh. And so I'm here to tell you, there are aspects to it that I thought were okay, and there are aspects to it that were just not good at all. <laughs> not nearly okay. Yeah, and it was basically what I thought it would be, where I am I do not like Ben Affleck as Batman. I like him as an actor. I don't think he fits the role of Bruce Wayne well. However, Henry Cavill as Superman is awesome. It is fantastic to watch Henry Cavill do his thing. It's also really fun to see Gal Gadot because she's in the film as well. And she's she's not really in it very much, but she, but having her there, you know, obviously it's really, really cool seeing more scenes of her as Wonder Woman in, in the film. And there are, you can tell um, that through the movie, there are certain sequences that elude to the Justice League movie. Which I can appreciate. It's like, okay, cool. You can see they're trying to start to introduce some of these different things by hinting here and there, that sort of thing. Um, and the just just overall, though, I uh, it wasn't like Man of Steel. You know, no, Man of Steel yeah. was such a great movie. Um, but I, I mean, I'm I'm here to be fair and say that it wasn't a complete train wreck like I thought it would be. I. I I think that uh, it's it's better than that. It's it's. I will go so far as to say it is. If you're looking to get some kind of exposure to these these actors, these superheroes and stuff, then it's worth it's it's worth a watch just to see it. But having said that, it's not like oh, I can't wait to go see that again. You right. know, like it, it's just it is what it is. And <laughs> I just miss Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale. That's right. all I gotta say. So <laughs> at that point, I would have taken uh, <laughs> what's it, Batman Forever, ba um, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. <laughs> they put Val Kilmer back in there. Hey, you know, Val Kilmer wasn't that bad. He wasn't. I will I will say he made a fine substitute to Michael Keaton, which, I mean, how on earth do you ever follow up Michael Keaton's performance as Batman? You just can't. But Val Kilmer, I thought, did a pretty decent job. Now, George Clooney, on the other hand, not so much. Fail. That was, and I will say... Uh, Batman and Robin with George Clooney is still worse than Batman v Superman, just simply because there are things about it that I thought were cool. It's just there are just certain decisions that were made. I'm like, eh, no, it doesn't work. Russ, you need to chill. Oh. <laughs> chill. That's all oh, I'm going to say it 26 more times. <laughs> Good night. You know, the other thing that was uh. interesting about the, the movie, too, is that I, um, Jesse Eisenberg played Lex Luthor. And I like right. Jesse as an actor as well. I thought he did pretty well. He he had kind of a younger take on Lex Luthor. But I will say that Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor from the Christopher Reeve Superman was just absolutely classic. Yeah. I also thought that Kevin Spacey's take on Lex Luthor was really good too. I really liked him in Superman Returns. So this one, this one was a bit of a departure, but I did like the amount of aggression and 
more of like the schizophrenic, um, insane kind of undertones that, that he was portraying with this in a way, you know, for some reason I thought myself, or thought myself, I found myself thinking, <laughs> I, I thought I, myself, self, I, th- I thought myself finding what I found myself thinking about how he would actually make a really good Riddler in the Batman world. He would. I would say so. And I just, I thought I would share the little token. Other than that though, I played Sea of Thieves with you during our Twitch. Ing. <laughs> and a fish. Ing. Yeah. You know what? That fishing mechanic is so fun. I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, and especially I've, I, I've said this before. I really do like having other people to fish with. Because in Red Dead Redemption 2, I thoroughly enjoy just being able to go anywhere in the map, find a lake or a pond or river, stream, whatever, and throw a line in and go fishing. That was fun into itself. But where I think the Sea of Thieves model actually takes a little more of a different turn is that that whole notion that like you and I could just hang out on our boat and just do some fishing, or if we're on an island and, and we're grabbing some treasure or we're like fighting something or whatever it is. Um, it's just nice to be able to take a break and be like, Hey, you want to go fish? <laughs> I got some crops. And, and the fish are really fun to look at too. Like if you caption, uh, capture a new one and you look at it and you're thinking, man, that one looks way different than these other ones over here. I don't know. It's just, it makes the game a more deeper, enjoyable experience. At least for a few days until a few more months go by and then they do whatever they're going to do next. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, without further ado, let's get into some gaming news. What do you say, Steve? Let's do it. It's been a while. It has been a little bit of a while, hasn't it? Well... What I can say is we have this one story in particular that involves Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony as a contest, the Trump administration trade tariffs. So recently, all three of these companies petitioned the U.S. government to reconsider their stance on tariffs placed on goods imported from China to the U.S. The tariff is being proposed by the Trump administration as part of the wider economic standoff between the United States and China and would include a 25% increase on video game consoles, controllers, arcade machines, and even board games. The tree of consoles manufacturers explain in their letter that, quote, while we appreciate the administration's efforts to protect U.S. intellectual property and preserve U.S. high-tech leadership, the disproportionate harm caused by these tariffs to U.S. consumers and businesses will undermine, not advance, these goals, end quote. The companies claim that the increased tariffs would not only mean higher costs for their audiences, but that the increase could potentially affect uh, themselves, but of the 65,000 odd game developers in the United States as well. Another quote I have here, it says, reduced video game console sales unquestionably will lead to reduced sales of games, which is highly likely to have a deleterious effects on the small and medium-sized businesses that make these games and on the workers whom they employ. End quote. So it's a new kind of turn of events when it comes to this ongoing tariff thing. I'm not exactly sure how I feel about the whole entire thing, but I just feel as though um, it is worth talking about and it's difficult to know for sure, you know, how to make your stance on it because obviously you have these these 
manufacturers, these companies that are international, but you don't really have them solely based here in the States. And obviously Nintendo's main HQs in Japan, that sort of thing. And so I think at the end of the day, my initial knee-jerk reaction to it is that obviously China is kind of the epicenter of where different products are manufactured, where they're created because of cheap labor. And since we're looking at this tariff situation, it almost makes me wonder if it's worth exploring actually taking some of those those manufacturing plants and bringing them either stateside or to another country altogether. And that way you'd be able to alleviate the whole tariff situation overall, I guess you could say. But I, I really do think that it's it's worth looking into because while it would be a bit of a pain in terms of like your infrastructure, your pipeline and stuff, obviously you'd have to make changes and that would be kind of a almost a growing pain-esque situation for these different companies. I do see that as a possible solution. But what do you think, Steve? Well, I'm looking at it from more of a business standpoint. I think a lot of these companies always look for excuses to increase their bottom dollar. And even though there's going to be tariffs or most likely tariffs, I think regardless, a lot of these companies are, are going to see it as, okay, well, this is partly why we have to increase the price to XYZ. And that's been the excuse like almost year over year over year. I remember when we had like the fuel crisis and I was doing car stereo at the time. Mm -hmm. All the companies said, oh, we have to increase our prices by 50 to 100 bucks to compensate for all the extra fuel costs. We thought, okay, well, yeah, that kind of sucks because fuel's expensive. I mean, if you deliver maybe one subwoofer, okay, I get it, yeah. But, I mean, if you buy a hundred of them, it's still one shipment. And then after the fuel costs went back down to normal, they still kept their prices up and were looking for another excuse to then raise their prices again. Granted, that's one industry, but you can look at it across the board. I mean, Apple has a lot of their uh, phones made in, what's it, Foxconn uh -huh. in China? And their prices are astronomical right now for, for their phones. And when you have other high competition like Samsung with the Androids, that's keeping their prices pretty much the same for every generation of phone. Apple's going to have a hard time selling the brand new product for another twelve to $1,300 plus the tariff. I don't know. I mean, I think the average consumer is looking to save costs where they can. And the average... Uh, companies looking to raise costs where they can. Yeah. So at some point, you're, there's, there has to be some happy medium. It's very insightful from Mr. Steve <laughs> Weeby over here. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> well, segueing into movie news, Superman's Henry Cavill cast as Sherlock Holmes in new movie. Interesting. The Hollywood Reporter said that Cavill joins Stranger Things' Millie Bobby Brown, who is starring as Enola Holmes and Helena Bon... Oh, excuse me, let me make sure I can say this correctly. Helena Bonham Carter as Enola's mother in the film based on the Enola Holmes Mysteries book series by Nancy Springer. I, for one, am looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a nice addition and opportunity for Mr. Cavill to be able to the capster. Yeah. Be able to be able to spread his <laughs> wings. I really liked him in uh, the mission impossible movie. Yeah. It was good. Opposite of Tom Cruise. I thought he played a really good villain and it was really cool to see someone like him who obviously got into the, the main spotlight with Superman and Superman, of course, being the boy scout that he is, it was nice to see him switch up uh, things with that. Also to the fact that, 
you know, we were reporting a while back about how he is going to play Geralt of Rivia for the, the Witcher series. Right. And I'm looking forward to that too. Like, I, I'm glad to see that he's really taking kind of these creative risks with these different characters. Did you see what I posted on Facebook, by the way, with, uh, with Cavill posting some new pictures of himself? I did. Yeah, that looks really good. I'm, I think, I'm, I'm telling you, I've got a good feeling about it. Although he's wearing one sword instead, instead of, two. of two. So I wonder if that has something to do with the story, perhaps. Well, and it could be a big payoff. Like perhaps when he gets the second sword, then it's right. like, whoa, look at that. You know, yeah, it gets now, all the fans yeah. all crazy. That's what I'm saying. I hope that at some point they, they give him the second sword and it's story based. Not like, oh, yeah, hey, you know, one sword's sharp enough. It takes care of both. <laughs> no, no. I'm sure they will not overlook that little detail. Uh, hopefully. The Matrix 4 rumor. The Wachowskis returning to direct new movie. So back in 2017, The Hollywood Reporter originally reported that Warner Brothers was starting to develop a relaunch of The Matrix franchise starring Jordan, who's the Michael P. Jordan, with a script by Zach Penn, who is the co-screenwriter of Ready Player One. At the time, the involvement of the Wachowskis was undecided, but one new rumor from the GWW says that uh, the Wachowskis will return to direct the fourth film, which will shoot in Chicago under the working title hey. Project Ice Cream. Chicago. I am wondering, though, how it's going to do. I, The Matrix, to me, is, is synonymous with Keanu Reeves. It's very difficult for me to see any other actor take on like kind of a main character role with that. And plus, I feel like the Matrix trilogy was a pop culture staple of that time period where like, if you recall, like the first Matrix, I think came out around 1999. And then the next one came out in 2001. And then the third one came out in 2003, right around there. And I, and it was like right in that time period where you had a major technological shift with all things like computers and Cameras. hacking and the internet going yeah. to cable. And there was just a lot there that, that I think that they were able to capitalize on. And I think it hit kind of a pop culture nervous system that everybody could just clam onto and be like, oh man, this is really cool. And I don't know. That's my take. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I think a Matrix was done once and done right. And it makes me nervous to have them continue it on, especially right now. Hollywood's looking to revamp a lot of these classics to make some more money. And it's that's not always the great decision. Now, there are a couple other details here. One that says... Um, they say that the same art director from the original Matrix movie, Hugh Badup, has already been brought on as the production designer of this new project. The site also says that the, quote, plot details are under wraps, and it is currently unknown whether the film will still be a reboot or will be a sequel to the previous trilogy, end quote. So you just have no idea. Now... Another interesting story that came across my proverbial desk is that Paul Rudd, you know, of Ant-Man fame, right. is set to join Ghostbusters yeah, 2020 heard, cast. Yeah, I heard about that. Reported by Variety, Rudd will allegedly play a teacher in the film. Quote, I've been wanting to work with Paul Rudd since my short film opened for the wet, hot American summer of Sundance, or at Sundance, I should say, end quote, said Reitman. I'm thrilled he'll be joining this new chapter in the original Ghostbusters universe, end quote. Sigourney Weaver claims that she will reprise her role as Diana Barrett alongside former co-stars Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. 
Earlier this year, Reitman said that the sequel would, quote, hand the movie back to the fans, end quote. As well it should, in my opinion. I'm hoping so. But I feel like Paul Rudd actually is a nice addition to the Ghostbusters stable. Right. I can totally see him in that world. Yeah, I, I can too. I think it's going to be good. And finally, the Batman movie has Andy Serkis rumored for an unspecified role. Batman on Film reports the rumor detailed that uh, Serkis has been cast in an unspecified non-motion capture role. That means we'll actually be seeing Circus's physical face and form in the movie as opposed to what he normally does, which is all the motion capture stuff. Because he tends to do those more like creature character roles. And except in Black Panther, he was pretty much all there except for his arm. True. Very true. In the movie, which potentially rules out some of Batman's more monster-like foes that would likely be rendered in CGI, such as Clayface. The report also detailed rumors that suggest the the Batman, that's what the movie is going to be called, I guess, is The Batman, is looking to cast an actor between the ages of 20 and 40 to play the Penguin, while Circus is aged 55 and thus outside of that age range. He does seem a sensible choice for the role. And once again, just like I said with Paul Rudd, I think that having Andy Circus in the Batman world, especially as a villain, would be fantastic. I would love that. And honestly, I can think of him in quite a few different roles. Uh, the sky's the limit with that because that is one talented man. What do you think, Steve? That, you know, I, I would like to see Andy Circus and, and pretty much whatever, but I, I can't see him in Batman, but I, the, the door's open. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. What the future holds. What the future holds. Now, finally, this one was um, a big story, too. And I want to get your take on this, Steve. But Johnny Ive, to depart Apple and start his own agency, is what we're talking about in technology news. Uh, the story came down to Apple not being as magnificent <laughs> as the genesis it began. The vocabulary <laughs> of the Apple brand has evolved into something not as fantastic as... Can you just come yeah. over and read me bedtime You're, stories? <laughs> I, I could use that. Can you talk any slower, Johnny? <laughs> He's the one guy who could talk slowly and you're just like hung on each and every word. You're like, uh-huh. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> this toilet paper is made from the finest silks from Egypt. He should read the dictionary. He really and should. all the definitions for every word. And the encyclopedia. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm learning so much from Johnny Ive right it's now. It's like another news. <laughs> Children from across the world are completely acing their English classes as they listen to Johnny Ive. Anyway, we should probably go on to the story here. The creator of the iPod, the iPhone, the iMac, the iPad, and Apple Watch is departing Apple and creating his own design firm, which will be called Love From. He's been with Apple since 1996, which if you recall, that's kind of like toward the end of when they had the tutti fruity looking Apple monitors with, with all the different colors and bubbly kind of designs and stuff. 
he came on in 1996 and was basically kind of the right-hand man of Steve Jobs. They, they worked really closely together. And he was the one who was instrumental in all the designs that we've been seeing since 1997 when they first introduced the, the iPhone onward. Well, of course, they had the iPod, that sort of thing as well. But uh, he also had a hand in designing the Apple Store. When you walk into any of those Apple stores, and you see how it's laid out. And the spaceship headquarters that Apple finally uh, finished building. That's in uh, Cupertino, California. So he's got some money. I would think so. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly, I've, I've heard something about how he lives in the UK. I don't know. I imagine he probably has property here in the United States as well as over in the UK. But man, that's, that is big news. It's super big because it's, on the one hand, Apple was very quick to um, talk about how they're going to continue working with Johnny Ive through his design agency. So there's there still will be some sort of connection there. Like they'll still be able to work on products and stuff. But it's interesting to me to see him do that. And I do think on the one hand, it is a bit of like a, a career evolutionary step for someone like him because Obviously, he's had such a massive impact internationally with all the products he's designed. And now that he's able to, to strike out on his own and have his own design firm, he gets to be his own boss and he gets to perhaps take on some other clients and challenges that he wasn't able to do under Apple. But I'm wondering how Apple is going to fare over the next five to 10 years. Now, obviously, they've been able to garner a lot of talent, a lot of, of really great thinkers out there and engineers and developers and designers, but it's going to be interesting to see who ends up being the next Johnny I for the company. Because that, I mean, if you think about it, 1996 to 2019, that's a really big spread of time. Well, I think Apple's got a lot of bright minds. I think they can, they can keep the sexy back still <laughs> keep the sexy <laughs> well and if you think about it too tim cook before he became ceo i believe he was the chief operations officer what's interesting about that is a coo <laughs> <Not> sexy <laughs> well they're more of like a distributor pipeline minded person right whereas Russ. steve jobs was more of the visionary he was more of like the right, glorified Russ. salesman yeah knew the persona of apple and we've been seeing over the last, like, I'd say five years, uh, a subtle shift in terms of like what Apple's doing, where we, you know, I would say the Apple Watch was probably the most recent new invention that they came up with outside of like the, the Apple Pod and that sort of thing. But it makes you wonder what other types of, of inventions are they going to come up with or are they going to stick to what they've already got going on and just continue to streamline the, the production pipelines? One can only hope, Russ. They need to do something. It's been pretty lackluster for the last three years. Agree. Well, grab your web shooters and head on over to Europe. It's time for the topic of the day. Do it, do 
Would you like? It's more like. That's true. That's true. That was really good. Thanks, Russ. <laughs> You're welcome, I've been Steve. Practicing. You playing that PS4 game? <laughs> He's unnatural. This kid. It's almost like me waking up uh, in my skivvies, going, "Yeah, I'm Spider-Man." <laughs> hey, look! It's a bald uh, Peter Parker. Man, hey, now that'd be something. Who needs a mask? That'd I'll just be use something. face paint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of my, my excursion, I'll be sweating all the paint off. <gasps> yeah. Okay. Why does Spider-Man look like he's melting? <laughs> <laughs> Beating up baddies makes you hot. <laughs> you do the whole like uh, UFC thing where like when you're grappling with a bad guy, you just intentionally like smear all your sweat and face paint in the guy's <laughs> other face. <laughs> Get off me. <laughs> Anyway, I know how Spider-Man tastes. I got a sweat in my mouth. <laughs> Gross. Our topic of the day is our Spider-Man Far From Home movie review. And so we're going to start off with spoiler-free high-level thoughts before we get into the spoiler elevator and dive down into the spoiler portion of the review. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Steve. What did you think of the film? Well, you know, it, this was not quite the home run knock out of the park uh, as Spider-Man Homecoming was. That's not to say that it was bad, Russ. That's just saying I didn't enjoy it as much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I I like how they're not doing the world's going to end stuff with Spider-Man. I like how, you know, the, it's, just, it's the enemies that are definitely a threat and villainous, but it's not... You know, protect the galaxy sort of thing with Spider-Man. And it shouldn't be. But after all these big, epic Marvel movies with Endgame and Thor and and Captain America, you know, whatnot, it's nice to have a neighborhood Spider-Man film. Agreed. That being said, though, I didn't think it was as funny. And it might have been because we watched it like at midnight. Pretty much. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it was 11 o'clock. Okay. Okay. 11 5. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know whose idea was it to start at 11 5, but anyway. So I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't find it as funny. Maybe you did. I mean, it wasn't like not funny, but it wasn't as funny mm. as Homecoming. So maybe, maybe it wasn't as scripted as well or as rich as it could have been. That being said, Jake Gyllenhaal's the man. Did you know I read he was trying to be the part of Spider-Man, not not the not to replace Tom Holland, but right around the uh, the Garfield time. Yes, I heard about that. That I re- that could have been awesome. That had potential. Uh, so anyhow, uh, it's weird how you could have been Spider-Man, but now he's in a Spider-Man film, but he's not Spider-Man. He's a Spider-Man villain. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, he did great. I thought he was awesome. And it's funny because you know, I, as you know. I did not read Spider-Man. I flipped through it every once in a while. But the way Mysterio was portrayed in the movie is kind of how I saw him in the comic. Oh, really? From little that I flipped through. Yeah. So I thought he was displayed very well. I didn't have a clue about the origin of where this character came from. So I didn't know anything walking into this. Yeah. But I thought he was displayed very well. Um, I thought the action, so-so. It seemed more like... Here's the thing. It seemed more like a high school love story that happened to be Spider-Man more than Spider-Man, and then he had a love interest. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. kind of seemed that way to me. So, yeah, you know, it it was good. It just wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I would say it was a fun movie. I definitely liked Homecoming more. I thought that Spider-Man Homecoming really hit the nail on the head in terms of a Spider-Man movie that I, that was for me that I really liked. I did enjoy more of the, the, the romantical progression that they had in this film. I thought that it was very tender and uh, innocent and cute in terms of the high school romances that we all know and love. I thought that, uh, like you said, Jake did a great job as, as Mysterio. I think there are certain things, and we'll get into later during the spoiler version of uh, this review, but there were certain things that I thought were just dynamite. And there are other um, aspects to it where I, I found myself kind of getting a little bored, honestly. Right, yeah. Which is saying something because Spider-Man's one of my favorite characters and I'm, I'm really into the, the movies that they've done so far and that sort of thing. So, But I, I will say if you're a Spider-Man fan and you want to see a progression from where Avengers Endgame left off, I would say you will have a good time with it. It's just I don't know if you're going to be wanting to go see this film multiple times in the theater. Right. So... And with that, I say, uh, come with me, Steve, into the spoiler elevator. Hey, if you look out the window, it looks like there's lots of bottle rockets and fireworks going off. However, it's, uh, you know, it's odd because we're kind of heading towards Italy. Yes. San Marco Square, the Bridge of Sighs. Oh. You know, I've been to Italy, Russ. You know, I've, I've been to Italy. I, I know you have. Uh, do people sigh on the Bridge of Sighs? A little bit, yes. Is it kind of like a stress reliever? No, because the bri- it's called the Bridge of Size, and I learned this <laughs> because back in the day, uh-huh. you went the prisoners went from the courthouse to the execution yard over that bridge, and so it was so, they, they sighed because it's like <sighs> I'm gonna die, oh. and that's why it's called the Bridge of Size. And I think. Mary Jane mentioned something like that, didn't she? Uh, you know what? I, I, she may have. I th- actually, yes, I think she did. Wow. You learn something new every day. <laughs> Very nice. Well, we are at the spoiler floor here, so we're going to jump right into the drill down of this film. If you have not seen it, we recommend you pause us, go see it, and then join us. There's uh, your warning. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, if you don't care, then hey, you know what? Just sit on down and listen to what we have to say. <laughs> so, uh, the plot. So, let's go into this, this little uh, chestnut. I was glad to see that they, of course, continued where the in game left off as it applies to Tom Holland. I can't do it as uh, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Uh, you know, with his particular character and, and involvement with the Avengers and just, again, I think it's, it's always a brilliant move on Marvel's behalf where they have these standalone films that help to build up individual characters and then have these Avenger team up movies that bring them all back together again and shake up whatever kind of conflicts been going on with them together and see what kind of scientific formula comes out of it as a result of uh, kick buttery. So, well, the thing is that, yes, I know what you're saying and I agree with it, but I have a different take, which is by in part, I want a standalone Spider-Man movie that has nothing to do with what happened with the Avengers where uh-huh. we had Spider-Man homecoming that takes place right after the, like, I think what, what was the second Avengers movie age of Ultron age of Ultron. So you have that one pick up where that, where the Ultron left off and then you have 
Stark obviously coming in there and it's not a mentor. Yeah. Mentor. That's not a standalone Spider-Man movie. Now you have this one and it's still, you know, you have uh, happy in there and you have Nick Fury in there and it's still where the Avengers movie let off again. And he's having, it's to blend the two together. But again, it's not a standalone Spider-Man film. For example, Iron Man, you had a couple of standalone films. Thor, you had a couple of standalone films. Captain America, maybe not so much, but I'm looking for a Spider-Man movie that it has absolutely nothing to do with the whole entire Avengers theme. Mm-hmm. You know, like if if there's going to be a third Spider-Man movie, which there most likely will be, are, are we still going to have to talk to other members of the Avengers or can it just be Spider-Man and Spider-Man alone doing his Spider-Man stuff? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that they're in a phase now where enough Marvel films have come out that they are being funneled into this kind of ecosystem that we've talked about many times in the past where you, on the one hand, have more of a standalone film of a character, but at the same time, they exist with all of these other characters in the same world and universe. And so while they have more minor roles, they still do have some sort of I don't know, contribution to the standalone films themselves. That actually doesn't really bother me so much because I like the notion that there's this symbiotic relationship with all the different characters and having cameos or having characters play minor roles in films that are focusing on a particular character. I think that that's actually great. In fact, we talked about that with Shazam. Say it for me correctly, Steve. Shazam! Thank you. And... If you recall, having those little nods of the DC universe in there really made it feel cohesive. And I think that's the same type of situation with this uh, with this Marvel film. But it was interesting. I thought it was fun to have this take place in Europe because that's kind of like the, the mandatory big high school field trip that a lot of folks take around that age group is like, really, we got to go over to, you know, Italy or Spain or the UK or something, you know, and... I never went during high school. What, what, did you go the, during the JC, Steve? What, what, what? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the college trip. You don't take it in high school. Well, some kids do. It depends on what class you're in. I've heard that if you take French, sometimes if the school is feeling saucy, they take the class out to France for a week. I don't know. Of okay. Course, given the state of affairs with our school system, you're lucky if you go to a French restaurant in the local <laughs> town, but that's another episode entirely. Anyway, um, so when it comes to the the different takes, what did you like the idea of leaving New York and going yes. into Europe? Yeah, I thought it was nice to get a break from New York because everything, everything happens in New York. Yeah, it's like the rest of the nation doesn't exist. It's a big apple. You know what I'm saying? Hey, it's a big apple. It's, it's a big, Manhattan. Everything. It doesn't sleep. It doesn't sleep. It's the center of the world. Literally, it doesn't sleep. How can it sleep? It's got like all kinds of mayhem going on, destruction and chaos. You got Ghostbusters. I'm just trying to eat a pie over here. You got a Marvel, the, the MCU, whatever it is. You know? You got I mean, look some, at that tower. That's the one tower that doesn't get destroyed by all these things, monsters coming out of nowhere. You got the Sopranos. Oh, wait. Hold on. I, I, well, you still do. It doesn't matter. But, uh, you, got, you got the Ghostbusters down here. Yeah, you got I the Transmute you. Ninja Toidals underneath us. And then you got the, the, the Tony Stark uh, stank, whatever his name is he got the big star, <laughs> Avengers Tower. <laughs> it's insanity over here. <laughs> this next Marvel film is going to be held in Idaho. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, anyway. <sighs> but yeah, I thought that. Shout out to Idaho, by the way. What? Hi, Idaho. <laughs> if Idaho, you'd pimp. Woo! 
Man. Uh, so when it comes to the, the the locale and especially when it comes to this type of, of setup, obviously Peter Parker is missing his mentor, who's Tony Stark. And there is this introductory, introductory, introduction to Mysterio. And it was really cool. I liked the the idea that, and, and this is what threw me off because I read Spider-Man comics, but like the whole like him playing nice with Peter Parker, I'm like, this is not how I remember Mysterio in the comics. Like, what is the deal? And so it was nice to see, oh, he's, he's playing off of Peter Parker's gullibility. And, um, and I actually liked how they tied in his character to the previous Iron Man films where he used to work for Tony Stark and that sort of thing. I thought that was super cool. I don't know how accurate that is to the comic books, but I bought it. I, th- I thought, oh yeah, this is, this is really, really cool. And I, I like how there are in just about every Iron Man film, they, they showcase these different uh, really brilliant people who work in tech who are either competitors of Tony Stark or maybe they idolize Tony or they wanted to work with Tony, but due to different circumstances, whether it was Tony's ego or it was Tony's just being more gifted or whatever, you know, he, it's almost like a byproduct of creating these um, lesser known villains in a way. But you, but basically, I mean, this one took a bunch of, ex-employees who were kind of butthurt over uh, the way they were treated by Tony Stark and trying to manifest this, this kind of uh, charade of sorts. But I've got to say that one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie was when Spider-Man faced off against Mysterio and we got to see the illusions take its hold on Peter Parker because that is exactly what I loved about seeing Mysterio in the comics because Mysterio was all about those illusions. He was all about just really messing with your head. And I, for one, really loved how they portrayed that in this film. And there was this new sense of danger with um, Spider-Man because he can't figure out what's real and what's not. And that's a real disadvantage. And I loved how they tied it back into one of the core concepts of Spider-Man, which is his spider sense and brought that to the forefront in terms of how valuable that ability is. What did you think, Steve? Yeah, I, well, yes, I, I, I'm glad they finally did more of the spider sense because we haven't seen it really at all. Uh, <laughs> exception with the, uh, we when his hair on his arm raised and that, yes, that was really cool. Right. So beyond that, we haven't really seen it. So yeah, I'm glad they, they started talking about it and the illusions, yeah, that was so. I don't know. It was okay. They didn't. I think they should have fleshed out how he was doing it a bit more, because it seemed like yeah, there was drones with projectors and weapons, and that's how they were able to cause the destruction per se and do whatever. But I think it was kind of a, a far stretch. It all seemed like it was Stark drones that were doing it. But later on, once we saw that uh, Peter had given uh, Edith to Mysterio, it all ended up being Stark drones anyway. So what was it before? Like, they didn't really hash that out. I mean, yeah, they, they were, there were still projections. There were still, you know, whatever. But I don't know. I kind of wanted to see a bit more of how he was doing what he was doing. And I didn't really want, I don't know, maybe I didn't want, I didn't want the villain to die either. Again, uh huh. So, anyhow, let's just talk about the projections a bit because did you think they were a bit generic? I did. 
Yes. While I was watching it and seeing the elementals on there, I was thinking this is just not, and I don't know if this is intentional by the filmmakers or not, because it could very well have been their intentions all along to have these, like the idea of these elementals and stuff to just kind of be generic where like it just, something wasn't stirring the Kool-Aid when you're watching, you're like, what is this? And have it directly correlate into the idea that you have this group of people who are trying to come up with some kind of villain or need or whatever. And that way it'll like validate their existence. They can make tons of money and have fame and all that kind of stuff. So I tend to want to believe that it was intentional. Having said that though, they were very like, just, I was kind of like, what? And actually when I saw the teaser trailers for this film, at first I thought it was Sandman. That's what I thought. And I was really excited because I was thinking, oh, this is cool. Sandman's one of my favorite Spider-Man villains. But it wasn't. It was this this other thing entirely. So, But then I thought the way that these villains looked, looked like the Sandman before. And so they didn't, didn't, didn't look like anything new. And then I thought also that the, the, the CGI was so great with the last few films that we've seen from Marvel that, that ha- kind of held the bar pretty high. Yeah. And so then we see this and then they drop the bar a little bit. So... I don't know. I don't know if it was, it was like you said, I don't know if it was supposed to be that way or it was an intentional for it to be that way. But either way, I'm kind of so, so I do go back and forth with their approach to this whole idea of how like Tony Stark has this tech that if, if it goes into the wrong hands, then, then there's problems for it. And we've kind of seen this in the past with other Iron Man films where like, for instance, um, uh, what was it? Hammer Industries, I think it was. It, w- it was the, oh, what's think, that guy? Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. I'm, uh, what's what's the actor's name? I forgot. Oh my gosh, I love him. I love him so much, I can't remember his name. <laughs> but anyway, uh, oh, Sam Rockwell. <laughs> he was fabulous uh, in, that, in that role of Iron Man 2. But the idea was, obviously, he stole some of Tony Stark's tech and they were doing stuff with it and that was a bit of a problem. Same with even the first Iron Man when um, you had, oh, what is his name? It's uh, the dude from The Big Lebowski. Uh, Oh, my gosh. My brain is just not cooperating at all. I want to say it's like Jeff Bridges. Thank you. (laughs) We finish each other's sentences. (laughs) But um, being able to see him also like steal the tank, there's kind of this ongoing theme that's occurring. And I will be the first to tell you that I don't remember all of Mysterio's origin story. So I can't say with authority what exactly is true to the comic book versus what is more creative license in this case. I want to say though that Mysterio had a bit more of his abilities that didn't have to rely on other people or drones or that sort of thing. Like, like he had kind of more of a fantastical element to him. I'll have to get back to you on that. Well, since I've been playing the Spider-Man game, there's a bit of that that's not Mysterio that happens in the game. Right. And so me alone, I just went through that with the game. So to me, it didn't feel that as fresh as it probably would have if I had been like you and already completed the game. And so I thought, hey, you know, okay, I just was through this and it feels kind of leftover. Mm. But that's, again, that's not necessarily a criticism of the movie. That's just with me because I played the game late, but... 
Well, and it makes me wonder too, if the, the filmmakers wanted to try and ground this character a bit more in reality. And so that's why they took the whole notion of, well, he has this crack team of visual effects artists, essentially. And that suit he was wearing, that was a motion capture suit. That's actually like a legit motion capture suit that Hollywood uses in films. So it was that that's why it's, it's, it's making me wonder if they intentionally took on more of this accessible, realistic role. Of, oh, well, how would Mysterio exist in, in our world? Well, I mean, he'd be this guy who's really tech savvy and he'd have his team of visual effects artists and then they could like, you know, hack into the network of drones that Tony has in the satellite. And really, like I said, I need to do some more research on Mysterio, but I don't think that's how he is. I think he actually has some things that are a bit more of the fantastical realm. We'll just have to see. But I, I did think that for what it was, it was interesting. Actually, it doesn't matter anymore because he's dead. <laughs> At least we're led to believe <laughs> he's dead. True. I, that's another thing, too. I really did love that end sequence when Spider-Man's coming up to Mysterio and he had one last illusion up his sleeve where that really wasn't him and that Mysterio was actually next to him with a gun and tried to shoot him. I mean, that was... Pretty intense. Yeah. And I appreciated that because that made the situation that that much more deadly and realistic is, is just that notion. Plus also Jake's performance, I think led to having more of a gravity to the movie, which I really liked. It wasn't just like, Oh, it's this comic book movie. Like it was actually more of a danger. I guess you could say like a sense of danger with his performance in there. The one, if I had to, to critique his performance overall, though, I did not like that speech that he gave in the bar. I really did feel that was unnecessary and it was too over the top. It was too forced. What did you think about that? Yeah, maybe not unnecessary, but they had to, I think show his bad side. There had to be a turning point where he was the good guy and everybody's best buddy to the villain, the main antagonist of the film. Yeah. And that was the, the reversal that they needed. So it might've been over the top, but it all made us hate him right then and there. It was, it was the, that little stick the knife in and turn it once that I think the audience needed to, to change their opinion. I just wish that there was a different approach to that scene entirely. I think it went on for too long. And I, like I said, I, th I think it was too over the top. It would have been nice to, I don't know, just kind of go back to uh, a whiteboarding session and be like, okay, let's, let's try and ideate on this a bit further. But what did you think of the cast overall? Obviously, we have some returning faces. Yeah. <laughs> so the cast was was fine. I thought that, I mean, it's it's nothing really new. Yeah, we have Jill and Hall, but... I don't know. I, I, when I think of the cast, I think of how their lines were were written. Mm -hmm. And to me, like with Nick Fury, nothing made sense to him until I got to the post credit scene and then everything made sense. Right. But if I was someone who did not make it to the post credit scene, like, ah, you know, I'm just going to go, you know, it's Sony. It's not, you know, whoever, you know, it's not strictly Marvel. So I don't really care. Then I would have left the movie thinking that I didn't care for Nick Fury anymore and I didn't care for, you know, some of the other folks. I did think that the cast for this UK, this, this Italian European, uh, Avengers, uh, behind the scenes folks, that was kind of unneeded. It was like, okay, this is the guy in Prague. He's like KGB kind of, so he has to be 
uh, kind of dark and menacing and kind of in your face a little bit. And same with the other girl. She's, you know, whoever that was in Germany, she has to be more rough. I'm like, no, that doesn't really work. I don't think so. I don't think they would be treating Peter Parker that way. I mean, right after Endgame, now they're kind of muscling him around a little bit. No, <laughs> I don't think that would happen. So I don't know if they were miscast or if it was, again, the, the script, but I, I, I didn't feel that it, it, they were portrayed correctly. I did really appreciate the the huge adventure that the class ended up going on. I felt like the teachers were just perfect. The actors who, who played the teachers, the, just just super funny to watch. And as they, you know, they kept manipulating the the trip that Peter Parker was on and how they were just completely gullible and be like, all right, man, I guess we're, hey, we got tickets. Let's go here. Nah, nah, nah. You know, I thought that was really funny. Also, uh, the, you know, the, the budding romance between Peter Parker's best buddy and this other girl in the class. I thought was great because here Peter is trying to woo Mary Jane and he's just unsuccessful in doing so. And then out of nowhere, his buddy like has this great relationship. You know, it's the whole, when it rains, it pours kind of thing. I, I thought all those little side story things were, were pretty amusing. I, again, I didn't think they portrayed MJ the way I would have liked it. That's just me personally. I just don't care for her. I don't think she's really the way they, the actress is fine and I've seen her in other stuff and she's fine, but I just think that she's not charming the way I see MJ. Right. And so I don't really see what Peter Parker is chasing after because his previous love interest was completely opposite of this love interest. And she just doesn't seem charming really at all. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you on that where she's just too harsh. Right. Her character is too harsh and and that's just not who Mary Jane is. Like Mary Jane in the comics and and even the the older films as well. You know, I think the older films really nailed the classic persona of who Mary Jane is. And I think that's what fans really want. That's what resonates with fans. And when, when you think of Mary Jane, I mean, she is kind of one of those, um, love interests in comics where she's like, she's kind of like the ultimate girlfriend, right? Where like, she just, she's vivacious. She's trusting. She holds Peter accountable. She's bright. She's bright. Yeah. She's like, she has all these different things about it, but there's, there's not a callousness that Mary right. Jane possesses. There's not this like, Oh, I'm going to use cut down humor because it's my defense mechanism kind of thing. <laughs> like, like she's, she, that's just not who Mary Jane is. And so actually my favorite part of, of her performance was at the very end exactly. when he was swinging with her right. and she was like screaming and squealing and stuff and hold on to her. And like when, like when she buried her face into the side of his mask, like of the side of his head, that's Mary Jane. Yeah. So that's I, totally Mary Jane. I'm wondering if with the third Spider-Man movie, if they're going to bring more of that essence of what we want out of Mary Jane out, like yeah. maybe she just needs the right guy. But, but I don't know, again, with her trying to figure out who Peter Parker is, if he's Spider-Man or not, and then he has that line of, are you just interested in me because you were thinking I was Spider-Man? And then she didn't really have a very good comeback to it, and they didn't flesh it out really as much as they should have. If I was Peter Parker, I'd be like, yeah, no, you killed it, you know? Well, and that's a good example, too, of the Mary Jane that we all know and love. See, the Mary Jane from the comic books she exudes honesty to the point where that's where the accountability part comes into play too, is that 
she's she's such this pure woman that I mean not pure like like Sister Mary pure but like pure <laughs> but just in the sense where like she's just she's 100% transparent and she therefore she expects Peter to be transparent with her and she tries to help Peter in different ways that she can but ultimately it's just this it's it's something that like it kind of there there's a recipe there for a little relationship conflict because Peter has to be careful with his identity and what he does and he doesn't want to get um, Mary Jane placed into harm's way. But at the same time, Mary Jane has this expectation of, Hey, you know, we're in this together. You need to be upfront and honest with me and that sort of thing. And there, I don't know, there's a certain feminine qualities about the character's archetype that I think are missing. Although I will say she was closer to the Mary Jane archetype in this film than she was in homecoming and homecoming. It was like, I mean, just it, it was complete opposite of what I personally right. want to see in the character of Mary Jane. Right. But speaking of the responsibility, shifting gears also, Russ. Which, <laughs> clutch, gas, go. Uh, so <laughs> I thought that'd be funny. It um, is funny. I'm yeah, smiling. Yeah, okay. I was, anyway, <laughs> I, I cracked myself up, I guess. So Spider-Man giving, or Peter Parker giving away Edith, which is Tony Stark's multi-billion dollar weapon system. It's the trinket that Stark... Almost a family heirloom. Almost a family heirloom. A memento. Gives only Peter Parker. He doesn't give it to Nick Fury. He doesn't give it to Captain America. He doesn't give it to... Technically, he did give it to Nick Fury because Nick Fury gave it to Peter Parker's hand. Well, yeah. Okay, I stand corrected. Uh, You sit corrected. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, really. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) Just a technicality. So as much as Peter Parker was investing in his time and his attention towards being an Avenger and getting Tony Stark's attention and, you know, okay, you want this mantle? Now you got it. And it's almost as if, like, you're 16 years old and then someone gave you a Ferrari LaFerrari. Mm -hmm. And you're 16 years old. You got the poster on, on your wall in your room. And someone says, you know what? You're a good kid. I like you very much. Here's the keys. You don't, you don't owe anything on it. You don't owe insurance. You don't owe, uh, you don't have to, all the gas and it's free. All the maintenance is free. All you got to do is just drive the car. Okay. Have a nice day. And they turn around and walk away and you go, you know what? This is just too expensive. I don't want it. Anybody else want it? Hey, how you doing? I've only known you for a couple hours. You want the LaFerrari? I just don't see that happening at all whatsoever. I mean, part of Peter Parker is with great, power comes great responsibility. He just like chucks it away. I thought, no, I, I, I can't, I don't buy it. I don't buy it one bit. Oh, Peter Parker. Well, and that's one of his flaws. It's one of his strengths. And yet at the same time, one of his flaws is that he's just too trusting. And that's what makes Peter so likable. And at the same time, when he's in those situations, you as a viewer go, no, what are you doing? So it makes for, Interesting story. I would just think like right after Endgame where. You would think that he would be a bit more cautious after Endgame. Yeah. I mean, that he turned to dust and went away and he knows that there's greater (laughs) superpowers out there. You would think that maybe he would give it to Nick Fury. Be like, hey, you know what, Nick? You're calling my cell phone too often. Here, just take this. Okay, here, take it. Let me just be a kid for once, you know. And instead he gives it to Rando Jones X, you know, who he's only (laughs) for a day. No, I just, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the visual effects of this movie, Steve? 
I think we already touched on that. We did touch on the elementals, but I was curious what you thought of the visual effects. Like, for instance, when Peter Parker was dealing with all the illusions. Or looking at Mysterio himself. I thought Mysterio looked pretty sweet flying around, honestly. Mysterio was was the best part of the, of the visual effects. Uh, it, I, was, it was a bit of a bummer that he, it wasn't really him. You know, right. when, you, when, you, when it comes to find out that it was just an illusion all along, so I was like, oh, like... Yeah, that kind of sucks. Because in the comic, he is flying around. Right. It, it almost <sighs> kind of sucked that it was... They, they made it too much of a 2019 movie. It was an what interesting... Well, like, for example, oh, you know, it was just a bunch of disgruntled people with a, with a lot of high-tech stuff that made illusions, and therefore oh. he wasn't flying around. He didn't have... I'm like, wait, wait, hold on a second. There's a... Taking There's too a, much of a literal approach. Yeah, exactly. You want that fanaticism in a way. That, Fantastical element. Exactly. You want that. And then they, they robbed of, us of it. And then they, and then they, hypothetically, maybe have killed him off. And so we can't get it back. Maybe. Yeah. So Maybe, kind of, sort of. Yeah. I mean, I, in, in, a, in a sense, like with, with Batman, mm. the Joker, they made him real. And it was believable. Yeah. I mean, because Joker's not a superhero. Batman is a superhero, but he's kind of not. He's a regular well, dude. He's who, a regular dude. Yeah, exactly. So that that aspect really, really worked. And the the fantasy world of Marvel, it I don't think it really works as much. Kind of let, let's say, for example, I was thinking about this earlier. Towards like the the, the mid credits scene, mm-hmm. right? So I know we're kind of shifting a little bit gears here, but that's okay, Steve. So you would think that once Peter Parker's identity is revealed to the world, that it's like, oh no, everyone knows he's going to be this 16-year-old kid. But then I thought, man, it's 2019. Everyone's got a cell phone camera. Everyone's recording this, that, the other and posted on Facebook. There's probably going to get a chance where someone captures Peter Parker with his mask off. And then that would be, you know, but then again, that's also stretching and it's taken away some of that mystery that you want in the movie with Peter Parker. You don't want to, you want everybody to know your identity because then at that point, what's the point of wearing a mask? Well, and that was kind of like the big F you to uh, Peter Parker at the end was they distributed that video. Now everybody knows the identity of Spider-Man, which I thought was a great cliffhanger. I thought it was a great way to, to leave that particular film. And then it's going to obviously make me curious to see what the next film entails because he's going to have to deal with that. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. <clears throat> so I cho- I took a look at IMDb, and there really um, is n- there there isn't any um, interesting tidbits at this point in time. So I think we're going to skip that and go right into our final conclusion slash rating. I'm going to go first this time. Go since, ahead. Since you were talking there, I thought, like I said at the beginning, I think that this is a fun movie. However, I don't think it's as enjoyable or compelling as Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man Homecoming for me was one of my absolute favorite Spider-Man movies. Um, I would say that one and Spider-Man 2 from the Sam Raimi days are neck and neck. I would probably just bump uh, Spider-Man Homecoming over Spider-Man 2. But that was definitely a film that I was I was excited about. I wanted to see more of and that sort of thing. When this came out, I was glad to see Mysterio. And I'm very happy with how Jake performed it. At the same time, though, um, the way that they approach some of the source material in what we just talked about, where they're trying to explain too much. It almost reminds me of Star Wars Episode One when you have... Um, Anakin say, Master Jedi, I've been wondering, what are midi-chlorians? 
well, Timmy, <laughs> mini chlorians are things in your bloodstream. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Is it, is it mini chlorians or mitochlorians? It's midi chlorians. Or it's just chlorinians. It's midi chlorians. <laughs> And so what, what did that do in the Star Wars films? Well, it completely removed this fantasy element of what makes a Jedi a Jedi. And not only that, but it just didn't make any kind of sense because then it got all scientific. And it was like, what are you doing? You're, you're kind of like in The Last Jedi where they started to give you fuel gauges on... Uh... You're, you're ruining the mythos <laughs> of the Jedi. So anyway, I think that while this one is not nearly as bad as that... It is in the same direction in the sense that they're trying to explain away too much of Mysterio in terms of his abilities and what he can do and stuff. And I'm saying, you don't have to do that. We're, we're talking about superheroes. We're like a kid who was bit by a radioactive spider suddenly can climb walls and swing through Manhattan with no problem and have super strength. Like, it's okay to have a character like Mysterio who's actually capable of flying and having these different types of illusionary powers and stuff. You can do that. You don't have to do it this, this the way that, that you guys ended up going. I also really liked how they continued this ecosystem of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with these different characters who you get these little cameos of and stuff. And it makes me wonder how they're going to move forward from here because they've actually been pretty tight-lipped with what the next phase is going to entail. We obviously know there's a guardians of the galaxy three that they're working on. Of course, Thor is going to be with them. That's going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to that, but they've been rather mum on just what other movies they have in the pipeline. They have talked about how there are several that they're developing right now. Of course they are because it's making tons of money. But in terms of this film, I say I'm going to give it three stars. Where, like I said, I thought it was fun. I thought it could have been uh, better. But having said that, it was enjoyable in parts. I thought that the the sequences where, where Spider-Man was fighting against Mysterio and his illusions, I thought were some of the best scenes in the entire movie. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the elementals. I'm talking about like when he was surrounded by these different types of worlds and things happening and he didn't know what the heck was going on. I and mean, that right there was straight out of the comics. That was really, really cool. What do you think? Steve? You know, I think I would have to agree with you on the three stars. Really? Russ, uh, I really wanted to like this one a lot more, but I think it, it really held on to Avengers Endgame a little bit too much. And I think our expectations were really high, and I think it fell below expectations. I, I didn't think it was as funny. I didn't think the action was as good as from Homecoming. Uh, I thought Peter Parker uh, kind of fell to, or not Peter Parker, but, uh, Tom, well, no, yeah. I think the movie was more about Mysterio and Jake Gyllenhaal more so than Peter Parker and Spider-Man, uh, or Tom, I mean, Tom Holland did a great job, but Tom it just seemed like he was at a, on a second seat with this movie. It was more about, uh, it was more about Mysterio and it was more about, uh, Mary Jane and it was more about other stuff. And it seemed like Spider-Man, Peter Parker took second spot in his own movie. To that me. part actually didn't bother me as much just because he wanted to get away. He wanted a vacation. And especially when you think about the infinity war and in game, he just survived all that. He I came back it. after five years of being I get it. dust, but, but we have a Spider-Man movie that's about him. And then he's taking a second. I didn't care. I didn't, I was fine with him. It, wanting to get a break and a vacation and just be a 16 year old kid chasing a girl and having a good, I, I think that's a great story. I think it's wonderful. However, when everyone else takes the center stage, it's like, 
me saying, Russ, I want to come over to your house. I want to use all your stuff, but could you not be here? <laughs> you got you the know? essence of Russ and that's it. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it would, it would, you would most likely be okay with it because you know me, I'm your brother. You trust me, but you're, you would be thinking, why is he asking me to leave my house? It's my house, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of what, what I thought. Uh, I just thought it could have been scripted better. I, I wanted it to be funnier. I wanted the action to be better. But that's not saying it was a bad movie. It's just saying that it just fell be- a little bit below expectations. What I want to see maybe from the third movie is, I mean, A, I want Spider-Man to wear his mask and not have everybody know that he's Peter Parker mm-hmm. and a 16-year-old kid. Uh, I don't want them to kill off another cool villain. Um, I want them to be action. I still want the, the 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 humor to be there that we all come to know and love with Spider-Man. And I um, just kind of step away from the, the, the Avengers, the, the, the MCU. Let's have him have a, just a, a movie by himself. That's what I'm looking forward to. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, and soundcloud.com slash joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.